Today, we're going to be looking, uh, continually looking through this book, chapter 3. And chapter 3 um, talks about the evidence for Jesus as God. The evidence for Jesus as God. Now, I'm, I'm going to uh, be honest with you. I am, uh, it's called the profile evidence. Did Jesus fulfill the attributes of God? And so in this book, uh, Lee, Lee Strobel, writing the case for Christmas, argues why Jesus is God. Now, I thought about this for a second, and I thought, okay, I, I could just go over the book and tell you what the evidences are, but um, I'm not going to do that. Do your own homework. If you need evidence to believe that Jesus is God, he makes a good case in chapter 3. Read it, and you, if, if, someone, if you're a doubter, it'll strengthen your faith. If you have never believed, it might give you faith for the first time. I know that's what it did for him, for Lee Strobel. But um, I believe sometimes here I'm preaching to the choir, and so I don't know if I need to convince you. Actually, one of the reasons why we gave this out in our community and ask people to give this maybe to a neighbor or a friend, a coworker, or a family member was so that they might come to believe. But hopefully, if you're listening to me today, maybe you've read it or maybe you already believe and you're like, maybe I don't need to read that because I believe already and you can pass the book on to someone else. But, but what, what I want to preach on today is how does that change us? If you and I are convinced that Jesus is more than just a man, that he's God, how does that change things for us? Now, I don't know how educated you guys are in terms of Christian terminology, and some of you have been in the church for most of your lives, and some of you are new to the church, and so I'm not afraid to rehash old sayings. And one saying is this, is that Jesus, you might have heard this, he's either a liar a lunatic, or he's Lord. You get what I'm saying? He's either a liar because the claims that he made was that he was God. He's either a lunatic because if you've ever met someone who claimed to be God and is clearly not God, they're crazy. Or he's Lord, which means he claimed to be God because he was God. And through the process of elimination, I've come to believe that Jesus is Lord. And so my question then begins for me and for you and us as a church. If Jesus is Lord, how does that change our lives? How does that ensure... Hartley, do you mind grabbing me my Bible there? How does that ensure that we are living a life that is pleasing to God? Now, here's, here's one thing I think we try to do too often, and I get myself in trouble with this during the Christmas season. During the Christmas season, it's a season where we want to help, right? You, you see the Salvation Army ringing their bells in front of the stores, and you want to be charitable. You see uh, organizations trying to give uh, maybe to the food bank or to other different, uh, you know, food hampers or different things so that people aren't hungry during the Christmas season and you want to give. Hopefully, that is something that you want to do in your life. Uh, I don't need to put up a show of hands because I think everyone would at least want to show that they uh, want to help and saying, yeah, do you want to help? Yeah, of course. Of course everyone wants to help. I want to help. I think we live in a world where help 
is a, is a high attribute. Helping others is a high attribute. Helping ourselves is an attribute that people want as well. You ever heard this term, you can't help others if you can't help yourself? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a challenge of trying to read 10 pages of a book for, um, for 75 days, all right? So every day, I have to read 10 pages of a book, and this is a challenge that I'm doing. And as I read 10 pages, I'm going through a lot of books, and one of the rules is you can't read a fiction book. It's kind of easy to read fiction, so um, to, to, to do this challenge, I have to read a book that will help. Well, there's so many self-help books out there where you can improve yourself, and it's not a bad thing to want to improve yourself. Here's the reality, though. Whether you are someone who wants to help your neighbor, wants to help your community, wants to feed the um, poor, uh, and clothe the naked, and give shelter to the homeless. If you're someone like that, Jesus said those things were good. Or whether you're someone who's realized, like, like, I can't, I don't have enough in me to help everybody else. I need to find ways to help and improve myself before I can help anyone else. Maybe you're in that. I'm going to tell you the truth. No matter who you want to help, whether it's yourself or others, I as a pastor am realizing, even in my desire to help my own church, the people who I'm supposed to be a pastor over. I can't. And I think there's, a, there, there's, there's freedom and there's power in realizing that you are limited. That you can't do it on your own. One of the first tools that um, AA teaches, you know, people who struggle with addiction, is that they need a higher power, that they can't do it on their own. One of the next books I'm going to read for myself is a book that someone wrote called Quit Pastoring Your Church. No, don't get, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to give up being a pastor. The idea in this book is that I can't be the pastor that I want to be for you guys that I need help from above in order to be the pastor that God wants me to be. That ultimately, let's let Jesus pastor the church. I might be pastor in title and position, but really, my job is to point all of you to him. And I think that's what we as a Christians need to realize. And I believe that when we truly believe that Jesus was more than just a man, that he's more than just a good teacher, that Jesus is truly God, when you really believe that with all of your heart and you think about how you want to change your life for the better, then you will stop trying to read self-help books and try to improve yourself through your own power, but you'll go to a heavenly father who sent his son into the world, who lived the perfect sinless life so that we can join him in his life, in us, so that we can live the life that he wants us to live. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will enable us to do things that we could never do on our own when we partner with him. You can't do it on your own. Trying to help people and having that good intentions, those good intentions are just scratching the surface of what God could truly do through you. And this is how I believe it, it happened. I believe God, you know, he's trying to work through the people of Israel. And God knew, he knew that 
his plan for the people of Israel would, would not accomplish his, his full purposes. Actually, the Bible tells us this, that, that God's plan in working through the people of Israel was actually ultimately to show us that we fail on our own. Remember, the Israelite nation asks for a king. They're like, we need a king. All the other nations need a king. And God, who wanted to be their king's like, if you're really, I'll give you what you want, but I really wanted to be your king, but I'll give you what you want. And if you see the history of the Israelite nation in the Old Testament, failed king, failed king, failed king, failed king. But there was a prophecy that God had intended to set up from the beginning that he would send the true king, the Messiah, who would sit on the throne of David, be a descendant of David, who would come and he would be the king who would reign forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so here, this is what brings us to the Christmas story. Israel is waiting for their king. They want to see him show up. And here God is in heaven and and he's like, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my one and only son. If you have a son... Or a daughter, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be just a son. But you have a dear child to your heart. Last week, uh, I was away. I was watching my son play hockey. Now, not to brag, but my son's pretty good right now at hockey. He's doing pretty good. And I got to tell you, last Sunday, you guys were listening to Pastor Liz preach a good sermon. I caught some of it on the internet. Um, I was sitting there watching Joel play hockey, and my heart was racing. And I told the mother next to me, I don't think I should be so excited and so stressed out over a 10-year-old's hockey game. This is not right. But you know why I'm so excited and, and love watching him? I love the kid. And I love how he just wants to please me after a game. He's like, how did I do, Dad? You know, what can I do to get better? And I just, that's just a glimpse of God's love for us, this father-son relationship. There's a reason why God uses this parental relationship between the father and the son in heaven in the same way if you have a daughter if you're a mother and you have a daughter who's close to you or if you're uh, a father with a daughter or a mother with a son it doesn't matter you know the gender difference this parental relationship is what God uses as an analogy for his love within the Godhead within the triune uh, relationship of who God is and then he sends his son into a world that will crucify him And so here I am, I'm loving my son, thinking, man, I love him so much, I can't imagine. It's like, you know, when Abraham in the Old Testament's asked by God to sacrifice his own son just as a test. He doesn't even have to pull through with it. God provides the ram. Remember that story? And I'm sure at that point, Abraham's like, whew. And the New Testament says that Abraham had so much faith, he he knew God wouldn't let him, even if he had to kill him, he knew God wouldn't let him finish that off because he would resurrect Isaac. That's what the New Testament... but, But... But what I'm saying is this, God sees us, he sees us, and he sees how much help we need, and he's willing to send himself, a part of himself, he's willing to send his only son to rescue us, knowing that they would torture him. This is, this is how God sees us. I want you to open your Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And this is how Jesus sees us. Verse 35. I'll take a drink while you guys uh, open your Bibles. And uh, 
If you don't have your Bible, you can read up on the screen. You know what I'm learning as I do this reading challenge of reading 10 pages a day? Like, it's good to read the screen if you don't have your Bible, because then at least you're you're, you're participating. But if you got the the pages in your hand, there's something happening in your brain that's a little bit more powerful than staring at a screen, or or just listening to my voice. So I, I think there's... There's something tangible. I'm kind of going old school, you know, people are like, I like the smell of a book, you know? You know, the paper and the feeling the pages turn in your hand. I think it's good to get in your Bible that way. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So imagine this for a second. Jesus is walking around. He's doing his ministry. He knows he is the son of God, the savior of the world. And he's bringing the good news of the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his father to people. And people are getting healed of their diseases. He is helping them. He is the true solution to their problems. And he's doing his best to minister to them. But this is how he feels about this situation. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Some of us struggle with that compassion part. Some of us struggle with it because we know we lack it. And some of us struggle with it because we have so much of it we feel burdened by the amount of compassion. Like, I can't do anything. So, so when you have so much compassion, sometimes you feel like, I feel helpless. I can't really help the people I want to help. And sometimes when you have a lack of compassion, you're like, well, what's the point of even trying? You know, those people need to learn to help themselves. You know what? I think there's truth in both categories, actually. I think sometimes the people who have way too much compassion look at the people who have no compassion and say, come on, people. Where's your compassion? And the people who have no compassion look at the people who have way too compassion and say, don't those people want to help themselves? And the reality is, you need a little bit of both. One, one, one thing I'm realizing in this world is, I can try to help people. As your pastor, if you want to sit with me and learn the Bible and me pray for you, I can do that. But you have to want it more than me. You ever try to help someone in their life and, and they come to you for help? But then what they're really asking for you to do is to fix their problems for, for them. You, but but you got to realize, you can't do it. Teach a man, no, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, right? Teach a man to fish, then he'll eat for the rest of his life. And so Jesus sees the crowds And he knows, he knows that a moment with him will bring healing into their lives. And yet he knows that ministering to them is only a limited, it's only a portion of what they truly can have in relationship with God. And when he sees the crowd, do you know Jesus, when he took on flesh, he chose certain limitations? Like, uh, and in the case for Christ, this is one of the arguments that um, Lee Strobel goes over. Well, if Jesus was God, how could he, how come he couldn't be everywhere? Why couldn't Jesus um, heal people here and people there and, and go to Nazareth and be in Jerusalem at the same time? Actually, at one point, even uh, Lee Strobel mentions this, at one point, Jesus um, can't do as many miracles as he would like to do in his hometown as Nazareth because of their lack of faith. Jesus, even though he is God, chose to take on flesh and take on certain limitations to prove certain points. What was the point with the people of Nazareth? It was that they needed faith in order to actually receive 
See, in this world of compassion, people sometimes choose their own misery. You ever meet someone like that? You have the answer. You want to help them. You're like, hey, just take this answer. And they'd rather not. I kind of feel that way about church sometimes. I'm like, just come to church. Be a part of our faith community. We're a wonderful community. Denise is nice. You know, people will love you. She'll, she'll, they'll hug you and they'll, they'll love you. But then, but then they're like, no, I'd just rather stay at home. And, and, and not to say that, that we all struggle with that from time to time. I struggle getting up out of bed some mornings. I struggle, you know, trying to be a loving father and parent to my kids uh, and husband to, to my wife. We all struggle. But my point is this, is that when we recognize we can't do it on our own, this compassion that Jesus even took on himself, recognize that there are certain limitations in this world compared to the next. So when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few Ask for the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. It's interesting, Jesus' answer to the fact that he has compassion on the people who are helpless and harassed. His answer is twofold. One is ask for the Lord of the harvest. Again, this proves my point. You can't do it on your own. He doesn't just say, hey, you go and be the answer to their problems. He says, go to your heavenly father. Go to the Lord of the harvest. Pray. Prayer is, someone described it like this. If you're going into war, like say the Second World War, sometimes the, the, um, the invading troops would fly their uh, planes over top of the enemy lines and first um, bombard them with missiles and, and bombs, right? And what that would do, would, it would soften the defense, and so someone compared that to prayer that when, yes, we need to move. Yes, we need to help the helpless. Yes, we need to feed and clothe and, and bring shelter to people who need that type of help. But if we pray first, we'll soften the enemy territory. It makes it so much easier to go into battle when you're prayed up. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul told us to put on the helmet and the, and the, and the shield of which is the word of God and, 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 the, and, the, and the, the shoes and the breastplate. He told us to put on the full armor of God because it's a spiritual battle and we can't do it without being prepared. And prayer is one of those things. So first, ask the Lord of the harvest. That's prayer. Go to God. You can't do it on your own. You need his help. And then Jesus says, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus doesn't say, ask the Lord and he'll just do it for you, he said, ask the Lord for workers. There's still our participation in it. So when I say you can't do it on your own, it's not that you can't do it. You can do it. You can be a blessing to someone. You can help people through their, ter their, their, their troubles, their suffering. You can be an instrument of God, but you can't be God himself. Do you understand? You know, like when I'm working on my car, I can't get that wheel off of my front tires to fix my brake without the, the bar, right? I can't do it on my own. I need the tool to, in order to do it. Now, God, he could, he could just do it on his own. 
but he chooses to use us as the tool to get the job done. He wants us to be his workers. I want to show you another picture that Jesus uses as an illustration to show this this need for Jesus as God in our life, that he was more than just a teacher, that he was the son of God sent into the world. Jesus is about to tell a parable in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and he put up walls, a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent the servants to the tenants to collect, to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servant, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretched and to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he whom it falls will be crushed. Uh, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the people held that he was a prophet. Do you guys understand this story? The owner of the land is God. He sets up a vineyard. That's the world we live in. He asks us to bear fruit, to take care, to be stewards of the land. And when he comes and collects that fruit from us, anyone who we, he has sent to collect the, what belongs to him gets beaten up and killed. And so the owner of the land thinks, well, if this keeps happening, surely if I send my son, he'll get the job done and they'll respect him. And yet they killed him too. Obviously, the Pharisees even knew they were talking about them, the real, but the problem was they didn't realize he was also talking about himself. That he was the son of the father who got sent into the world. And so here's... Here's how I see this parable, and here's how I see Lee Strobel's importance of the case of, of Christmas, and how important it is that God in the Christmas story sending his own son into the world. That God saw us as helpless, and as Matthew chapter 9 said, harassed 
People who were sinners in need of a savior, and he's thinking the only solution to this, their problems, the only solution to my problems, you can make a list of your problems, right? And you gotta realize the only way to see that your problems are small is to see how big your God is. We've seen that meme on the internet, I'm sure. And this is the truth, that God said, there's only one solution to your problems. It's by sending my son, and yet they still killed him. And yet God knew that that was going to happen, and he knew that by killing them, it would actually free us up. And here's the most important part, is that when we crucified Jesus on the cross, when humanity killed Jesus on the cross, it's what needed to happen so that God could forgive us. This is Lee Strobel's most important case for Christmas in the importance of Jesus being God. Only God forgives sin. Listen, I know I sin against my wife. I know I sin against my kids. I know I sin against my neighbors. I know I sin against the government. I even sometimes sin against my church. And what I mean by their sins of commission, their sins of omission, doing the things I shouldn't do, not doing the things I should do. I am a sinner. I know I'm not shocking you by this, telling you this. We all realize that we are. Who can forgive me? You might say, well, if you've sinned against your wife, shouldn't you ask your wife for forgiveness? Yeah, I should ask my wife for forgiveness. But when David, and, and he uses this in the chapter, this illustration in the chapter, uh, Lee Strobel does, when David sinned by sending by committing adultery with Bathsheba and sending Uriah the Hittite to the front lines and getting him killed, essentially murdering him, he knew he had not only sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and the nation of Israel by being a bad king, he said, my sin is truly against God. It's God who I've offended. You know why it's important to have a good marriage and to love your spouse? Because God said so. Do you know why we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves? Because God said so. So when you fail to do the things you should do, yes, you've sinned against the people in this world, but ultimately your sin is against God. And, and when you've sinned against God, there's only one person who can forgive you, and it is God himself. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that, that, it's, that Jesus is God. That as he is, yes, the son of God, he's also a part of God. That they are the same essence and that they share the same will and substance in heaven and they, essence in heaven, and they work together in our lives. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in our lives to forgive us. Why is it important that Jesus is God? Because he's the only one who can truly forgive you as God himself. Now, if you turn to page 70 of this book, it's not only that God forgives us, but um, uh, Lee Strobel says at the bottom of the page of page 70 in his book, he says, also the Old Testament paints a portrait of God by using such titles and descriptions as Alpha and Omega, Lord, Savior, King, Judge, Light, Rock, Redeemer, Shepherd, Creator, Giver of Life, Forgiver of Sin, and Speaker with Divine Authority. 
And then he says this, it's fascinating to note that in the New Testament, each and every one is applied to Jesus. So the Old Testament God of Alpha and Omega, Lord, Savior, King, Judge, Light, Rock, Redeemer, Shepherd, Creator, Giver of Life, Forgiver of Sin, and Speaker with Divine Authority, Jesus is each and every one of those. Jesus said he and the Father are one. Why did, why did I read that list? I read that list because, yes, he forgives our sins, but is he our Savior? Is he our King? Is he our Lord? When I look to how I want to live my life, do I look to how Jesus leads and guides me. There's a reason why our church's motto is to live and love like Jesus. It's not because Jesus was a good teacher. It's because Jesus is God. Because I don't want to follow just a good teacher. I want to follow God. And so when we come to this realization, this is why we're handing out this book during Christmas. We want people to recognize Jesus as God. That God left heaven to come to earth as a baby during Christmas and that if you truly recognize Jesus as God, it changes your life. It changes how you live your life. It changes the things you care about, how you parent your children, how you love your neighbor, how you talk to your spouse, how you treat your coworkers, how you even treat people who hate you. Because if Jesus is God, then everything that Jesus tells us to do, we want to do also. So my questions for you this morning, just to summarize the things I've said this morning, do, have you realized your own need for Jesus? Do you try to be the solution to your own problems or do you see your need for a savior? See, Christmas means so much more to us if we realize how much help we've needed through this life. Because then we see that Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth as a baby as us getting the most beautiful present that we could ever receive. And then you start seeing Jesus' birthday as the answer to your problems. Or, or, or are you stuck trying to fix your own problems? And when you want to help others fix their problems, now I think we should want to be laborers in his vineyard. We should want to be instruments and tools for righteousness. We should want to give to the, those, those in need, clothe the naked, and give shelter to the homeless. We should want to do those things. But we have to realize we can't do it on our own. And ultimately, we need to lead people to Jesus who can be their true help. Let's pray together.